Today we're continuing in our teaching series, Stories of Transformation, where we've been able to listen to different stories from our staff and the ways that God continues to work through those stories, as well as hear from different perspectives on some of the parables that we see in Luke. Now there's something really amazing about stories, um, something that I've been able to see as a theme. Uh, as I've been listening to each of the stories shared from our staff, uh, I also, oddly enough, find myself walking in these stories as they're being shared. I, I see moments where I have shared a similar experience, feeling, or maybe an insight. Um, and as I am blessed with the stories shaped from another person, I am also blessed by how God moves in the lives of those around me. Um, this morning, we are going to be able to listen to Danielle, our children and family ministry director. And if you watch some of the Olympics, some of you might know the name Allison Felix, uh, who just won her 11th Olympic medal. Well, Danielle actually competed in the same California state track meet in uh, 2003. Um, Danielle is married to Joe and they have three children. Alice, Charlie, and Oliver. And if you've ever been able to be around Danielle's family, you'll learn really quickly how fun they are just to be around. Um, I get the awesome privilege to serve with both Danielle and Joe. Um, and Joe helps out with our sixth grade Sunday school with Danielle. I get to work closely together as her and I kind of figure out different ideas and vision for family ministry at Highway. Um, Danielle is also someone that continues to surprise me. Uh, the more I get to know her, like I just learned um, that she used to work as a door-to-door -door vacuum salesman, uh, which is super random. But anyway, I'm excited to hear what Danielle will be sharing with us today and also a chance to hear a little bit more about Danielle's story. One afternoon last week, I heard a yell from across the house, rushing toward the sound and expecting blood. Instead, I found my three-year-old sitting quietly, eating a muffin, my six-year-old daughter painting a picture, and her twin brother screaming in agony on the floor that his star didn't look quite right. On the desk, I found a beautiful, though lopsided, star drawn with his still-developing fine motor skills. So I sat with him, helping him to take deep breaths, but he couldn't be consoled. As he wailed in existential agony, I wondered, how am I supposed to tell him that he's loved from the bottom of my heart and from beyond the stars by the God who created them both? How do I convince my child that he doesn't have to be perfect to be good? Because I know that feeling. I've spent my life searching for perfection, my whole life. I guess I thought that if I could just be perfect, if I could just get it right, I'd be safe. I would know that I was good, that when God looked upon me, his creation, he would proudly say, I made this and it is good. And then we could both finally rest together. But I didn't find perfection. At every turn, I made mistakes, seemingly from the beginning, when I was so little, I remember imagining that there were two voices in my head. Like that trope with an angel and a demon on each shoulder, I pictured this voice of good and one of bad, and I would do my best to follow the good voice. So badly, I wanted to be good, 
but sometimes I would get mad at someone or I would shout or I would do the wrong thing and I worried that I might one day become the bad voice and not the good voice. One of the many troubles with this mindset, many, many, especially when formed with a child's understanding of right and wrong, was mistaking true goodness with social expectations. I remember a particular road trip when I was maybe seven years old. My parents, sister, Grams, and I all packed into our little sedan to drive halfway across the country to Oklahoma. My little sister refused the middle seat, and so there I sat between my Grams and my sister for a three-day, 30-hour drive. My sister, so little and so frustrated with the long drive, started scratching my arm, and she kept scratching. But I knew it was wrong to be a tattletale. Everyone at my elementary school said so. So I sat and I cried silently, even when I bled. So sure that I shouldn't tell anyone, I wore long sleeves in the hot sun that whole trip so that the scratches wouldn't be noticed. If I showed my wounds, I mean, wouldn't that be the same as tattling? But when my parents eventually did see the scratches, I was faced with another moral conundrum. To tell was wrong. To lie was wrong. To ignore my parents was wrong. So I told them and felt ashamed of my error. Right and wrong seemed so confusing, and I just thought, there has to be some way to know this stuff for sure. I was lost in my understanding of goodness. Unlike many Christians, I wasn't born into a legacy family when it came to knowing Jesus. I had heard of God vaguely. I had seen the Last Supper in my Grams' kitchen, and I'd seen her giant Bible used to carefully record births, deaths, and other milestones. So I knew a Bible was an expensive place to record what happened in your life. I saw that Bible a lot. Every day, in fact. Growing up, my Grams lived just a few blocks away. And so from the time I was a baby, Grams was my child care provider every single day. I had no preschool, no daycare, no nannies, just my Grams. She was a housekeeper by trade, so we would walk to each house and clean together. Even when I was too small to be helpful, she would push me in the stroller up and down our steep city, and I would play in the corner of each home as she worked. Once I hit kindergarten, I would walk to her house every day after school. She'd make me little pizzas on English muffins, sandwiches with the crusts cut, and all my favorite foods. And we'd sit and talk. And on holidays and weekends, we'd get to do my favorite thing go to yard sales. My grams would never turn down a good bargain. At one such sale, I came across a children's Bible. It was cartoony and cheesy and old, but for some reason it caught my eye. I don't really remember what Graham said when I showed it to her, but I remember begging her for the 30 cents to buy it. I remember my desperate certainty that it would somehow answer my questions. I took it back to her house and I read it nonstop. See, by that age, I was an obsessive reader. I had read every children's book we had, every encyclopedia, even the dictionary several times. So I ate this book up and I learned so much. See, it turned out that the Bible was actually a book of rules, told through the stories of people who followed or broke them. I learned 
that Adam and Eve messed up when they listened to the bad guy and not to God. They died, and that made sense. Noah listened to God and not to all the people who were mean to him, and then they died because they did the wrong thing, and that made sense. Moses listened to God and not to the Pharaoh, so he saved his people. And David was brave and put his faith in God, so he beat Goliath. All these stories made sense. But then came Jesus. My Bible said he was a perfect gift from God who came to save the people from our sins. And after reading the whole Old Testament, that really made sense. Jesus shared how to tell right from wrong by the way he lived, but also through the stories he told. He told stories like the Good Samaritan, the wise and foolish builders, and other parables about how people should and shouldn't act. And that made sense. But then he told this one story about these two brothers that didn't make sense to me at all. See, there was once this dad with two sons, and they worked hard with him and lived as a family. And one day, when their dad would die, he'd leave each of them land and money and stuff, and they'd be all set up for their own time as grown-ups. But then the older brother didn't want to wait. He wanted to be rich now, and he asked his dad for all the money he was supposed to get later. And he took it, and he spent it all. He wasn't brave or wise, and he certainly wasn't listening to God or his dad. So he became poor and had to work on this pig farm, and he didn't have enough to eat. He finally decided to come home and say he was sorry to his dad and asked to work on his farm like an employee. And that made sense to me, too. But when his dad saw him coming... Instead, he told his other son to set up the biggest party ever where they'd eat all the best food and celebrate his son. And so they did. His dad came running to his lost son and hugged him. And his son got to be part of the family like nothing ever happened. The other son was so mad. And why shouldn't he be? His father had never given him a party, even though he was wise and brave and faithful to his dad the whole time. Why? Is it saying that even if I do all the right things all the time, we'll end up celebrating the one whose only accomplishment was to stop doing bad things? And only then, because he ran out of money? Why? I just didn't get it at all. I felt like the brother who tried to do everything right, but somehow still got it wrong. Like him, I was lost. But then... I found out that my neighbors went to this thing called church where you get to learn about the Bible. And I found out that the kids even get a teacher who tells them what the Bible means and everything. And they invited me. I was so excited. I learned more things about how to be good and how you're supposed to pray and read the Bible every day. And I learned that memorizing Bible verses made you closer to God. I learned from James that it is by works that faith is made perfect. Ha! Huh. There it was. If I worked hard enough, I thought, my faith could be made perfect, and then I could be in God's forever family I heard about. Oh, I longed to make it into that family. But there seemed to be ever more rules. It wasn't just about being kind or brave or wise or listening to God. It turned out I was also supposed to wear nice clothes in the sanctuary because that honors God more. And Paul said I'm supposed to pray constantly, but I was always so distracted. 
How was I supposed to pray while I was writing essays or competing in three sports or even going to the bathroom? And I was supposed to come to God with all my worries. But then I learned that it was bad if I was always asking him for things. And I was supposed to tell other people about Jesus and that he died for our sins and that he came back to life. But how do I explain that to people? And what were Catholics anyway? And why was everything so much more complicated than before? But I still thought I could be enough somehow. I thought I could make things at home better, safer, but things never changed. I thought I could be a good friend, but I was selfish sometimes. I thought I could be a good student and athlete, but I forgot about deadlines or procrastinated. And every A minus or B, every word spoken in anger, every time I worked less hard than I could have, did less than I should have, was another mark. It was another reason Jesus had to die to be on that cross. I couldn't be perfect. I could feel those thoughts scratching at me until I bled. And I didn't know what to do. Luckily, One thing I did know was that college was the place where I could finally answer all the answers to my questions, and then I'd have no more questions. (laughs) No surprise to anyone, that was not my experience. I headed off to college, ready to learn, to be better formed into God's image, to do good things and help people. I wanted to extend God's love to the people around me, but I didn't really even know what that meant. And then I met this girl. She was sweet and kind. And she was struggling. We became fast friends and I could just see she needed help. We started spending most of our days together and even moved into an apartment together. Curious about my seeming confidence, she started asking me about my faith. And so I introduced her to Jesus and she really connected with him and she joined our small group. But still, she needed me all the time. Each meetup with my boyfriend hurt her because she was single. And though we often hung out with friends together, it broke her heart if I went somewhere without her. And I kept thinking that if if I could just keep helping her, she'd be okay. I could help her be okay. But it seemed to get harder rather than easier. I was sitting in this young adult service one day when I heard this sermon I don't really remember all of it, but I remember him saying that we need to be careful in the way we love people. He said that working to fill people with empty hearts will make you empty as well. And I remember my first thought was, so? Isn't it worth the sacrifice? Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? But then he said, and it will never be enough. You can never fill another person's heart. Only Jesus can do that. I thought I could be enough, but that's not true at all. And I don't have to sacrifice myself to save someone. That's not my job. That position has been filled. And I started to realize the way that I had placed myself in the wrong position entirely. What manner of pride was this? That I might think I could save the world? That's the job of Jesus. I am the saved, not the savior. And I read the parable of the lost son again. 
This time, I saw myself in the position that fit me without strife or struggle, that of the lost child. I had tried to take my inheritance from the father, his love, his mercy, his strength, and I tried to live out in the world as he would have me live. I struggled and I gave my everything, but I still lost. I could not live for him on my own. I was so prideful to think that I could earn what had already been freely given to me. All God really wanted was for me to live with him and him in me. And I could see the Bible with new eyes. It turned out that the Bible was actually a story of God's creation. Each of us made in his image. Broken, struggling people who are loved by God anyway. Saved through his son, Jesus. I was the lost son the whole time. And I just needed to come home. Recognizing the beauty of the ordinary gave me a new kind of peace. Of course I'd keep working, but with the knowledge that I was already saved. God's grace was freely given and without exception. So I entered my 20s with a measure of confidence. I felt like I knew where to put my identity and my faith in the hands of the one who made me. But of course, in practice, I still struggled with this idea of perfection. I knew God's love was for me was unending, but I still felt so ashamed when I didn't live up to whatever I imagined he'd made me to be. I couldn't quite rid myself of that feeling, but I knew I was forever loved by God, and that had to be enough. I just had to hope that one day I would become the woman he'd set out to create. So I continued to grow and learn as a woman, as a wife, as a friend. My husband Joe and I moved up here a year after we got married and eventually found our way to Highway 10 years ago. I felt so at home in this community, and we both knew we'd found a church family to grow with. I have learned so much here and have been blessed many times through the kindness and grace extended to us. And so, with the church family to support us and feeling content teaching at each of our amazing schools, we felt ready to start a new adventure as parents. It turned out we were about to start with a bang. Our twins arrived the following June. They were beautiful, and I knew I'd love them forever. And yet, as I sat on the floor of our living room alone, day after day that first summer, something happened. My confidence as a Christian, as a woman, as a wife, as a friend, cracked under the weight of this new identity. Mother. I spent sleepless days and nights struggling to make sure they both stayed happy, fed, clean. I had read all the books, so I knew what a good mother needed to do. Babies needed cuddles, and they also needed milk. But then, when nursing didn't work out and I switched to pumping, I found it almost impossible to hold either of them while pumping. They would cry out and wrestle against my awkward, hopeful poses. I felt like I was choosing between their physical and emotional health every single time. Babies also needed to go outside for parks and picnics and sunshine, but one of them was always napping or hungry or needed a change, and so I couldn't always get them outside. I was supposed to read books and sing songs and give them all the age-appropriate toys, but I never seemed to have time to do it all. Every choice I made seemed to cost me everything. And suddenly, there I was again, 
never enough. Those imperfections came scratching through. As those old scars broke open, I began to believe that my precious baby's tears weren't a simple communication device for food or naps or changes, but actual cries of sadness that I, a broken person, was their mother. If God had only given them to a more competent mother, their lives would have been so much better. Why did he give them to me? And if God doesn't make mistakes, then that must mean that I am fully capable of the task given to me, and I'm just failing anyway. I thought that I understood God, understood myself, but at that time I realized there was a much deeper place in myself that I had not yet invited God into. I had simply walled it off and chose to live in that sunnier spot above. But postpartum anxiety broke that thin floor right through, and it exposed all my deepest fears. Now, I'd like to say at this moment that I got help. A wonderful therapist and amazing anxiety medication allowed me to build up new skills in dealing with dark and intrusive thoughts. And so if any of these thoughts or feelings sound familiar to you, don't hesitate in talking about them with someone. I am always around to listen but I encourage you to talk about it with any person who feels safe to you. It doesn't have to feel this way. For me, in addition to all the help from doctors, I also got to see the Bible in a new way, yet again. See, it turned out that the Bible was actually so much more than I realized. Yes, it is a record of things past. Yes, there are rules and there are stories of people both following and straying from God and the consequences of those actions. Yes, it shares the story of God's creation and of both our missteps and our ultimate reunion with God. But through all of that, another thread can be found. The Bible shows us God's love in creating us, in loving us, in living and dying amongst us, in finding and rescuing us, over and over when we are lost. The Bible is about who God is, his unending and sacrificial love, and the depths of his mercy. And while I maybe knew conceptually that was true long ago, I don't think I really felt it in my bones until much later. I was still trying to mold myself into the right person for God. I was trying to make up for my mistakes, trying to be this person I thought God would want that he would deserve. I was so focused on me that I was consistently losing sight of him. There is no perfect form to find except through God. In him, we find our perfect love. And so now when I hear the story of the prodigal son, I don't really see it as a story about either son anymore. Because all I can think about is the father's love, about how he is ready to run to me. There is nothing for me to complete. He celebrates in the reunion every time. He shows us this love from the very beginning. He made us. He made this whole world and he called it good even before it had hurt, earned anything. And when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 2 tells us that he put them there simply to work. He didn't require them to finish something, nor to become something better, something else. He just wanted them there 
working beside him every day forever in perfect love and unity. The God of the universe, the God of sacrificial love, the God of mercy and might, our great creator and comforter, made us in his very own image that we might partner with him, caring for all of creation together, working and resting beside him in that sacred space. I had been treating success, perfection as worship, but work is worship. He longs for all of us to come home so he can run to us and wrap his loving arms around us and say, I created you and it was good. And so now I hope to spend the rest of my days looking for God, only to find him right beside me as we work and rest, knowing that I am good because of how he loves me. And isn't that just perfect? Thank you so much, Danielle, for sharing your story with us. Um, it's such a gift to be able to listen to all of these stories from each of our staff at Highway. And as we continue to listen to the stories being told from our staff, may we also listen to what God is speaking to us, what he might be speaking to us, whether these are whispers of encouragement or challenges, maybe new convictions. Um, would we pray for the ears to hear God's voice through all of this? Let's pray. God, we just thank you, um, continue to thank you for what it is and what you have been doing in the lives of each of our staff and in our own lives um, and the stories that come out of um, the things that you do in our lives. God, we pray that as we continue to listen to um, different parables as well as different stories from each of our staff, would you give us the ears to hear what it is you are speaking to us? God, would you also soften our hearts to, um, to transformation? if it's transformation that you are calling us um, into, especially if those, um, th if those waters might be new for us or new territory for us, God, would you give us a softened heart as we enter into some of those moments of transformation? God, we thank you for the work that you have already done in many of our lives and you continue to do in all of our lives. Here we pray. Amen. <laughs>